You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. If you got your Bibles there, please go ahead and open them up to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 9. And uh, as you're turning there, just by way of reminder, we've just spent the last three weeks in a series called Start Here Psalms, where we've looked at some foundational psalms with foundational truth for our lives. And this morning, we're going to continue along the same Start Here theme, looking at some foundational truth for our lives, but now from the New Testament. And if we could go anywhere in the New Testament to grab hold of some foundational Start Here truth for our lives, it's right here in John chapter 15, verse 9. Because in John chapter 15, verse 9, we are confronted with the glory and the massiveness and the supernatural magnitude of the love that Jesus Christ has for us. Now, if I were to ask you, how much does Jesus love you? What would you say? I think if you know Jesus Christ, then you would say, well... He loves me a lot. And if I said, well, how do you know that? And you'd probably say, well, it says so in the Bible. And I even know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know for, how's it go? But there's a, a difference between knowing and then truly experiencing something in a, in a truly life-changing and profound way. There's a difference between knowing something and then, and then truly experiencing the depths of something. Like we could look at a picture of the Rocky Mountains, and that's great, but it's another thing to stand on a glacier in Jasper. It's one thing to look at a beautiful picture of an ocean, but it's an entirely different thing to actually jump into the ocean. So let me ask you this morning, how much would you say that you are actually experiencing and enjoying the depths of the love that Jesus Christ has for you? Because look at how uh, Moses prayed. Look at the way Moses prayed in Psalm verse 90. Love this prayer. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Was this you this week? Can you say that this week that you were satisfied in the love of Jesus Christ? This week, was this you? Were, you? were you rejoicing in the love of your Savior? Was this a week for you where you were glad in the love of Jesus Christ? Because, because this is what happens when we truly experience the love of Jesus Christ. Or consider how David spoke to God. He said, because your steadfast love is better than life, better than life, my lips will praise you. Again, I ask you, can you say that this was you this week? Were, were your lips praising the Lord? Were you praising Jesus Christ? Because this week, to you, his steadfast love, his perfect love was, was better than life. 
Because I think if many of us are honest, we would say, I wish that was me this week. I wish that sounds amazing. I want that. I know up here that Jesus loves me. I know it, but, but, but I'm not experiencing and enjoying his love as I want to. And I can certainly relate to that. Anyone else here relate to that? I can relate to that. So what would happen then? What would happen if every Christ follower here today somehow began to comprehend and experience and enjoy the love of Jesus Christ in a new and profoundly life-changing way, what would happen? Well, here's what would happen. We would begin to see the death of sin in our lives. We begin to see the death of pride in our lives because pride it cannot survive in the heart that is filled with the love of Jesus Christ. When our hearts are filled with his love, we begin to love him most and not self. We begin to see the death of idolatry in our lives because idols cannot rule in the heart that is filled with the love of Jesus Christ. When our hearts are filled with his love, we worship him and not idols. We begin to see the death of fear in our lives because fear cannot flourish in the heart that is filled with the love of Jesus Christ. When our hearts are filled with his love, we place our trust in him. We stop listening to the lies of the evil one. We begin to see the death of sinful anger in our lives because sinful anger cannot flourish in the heart that is filled with the love of Jesus Christ because when our hearts are filled with his love, we see that we have all we need. We're not scrambling, trying to get more and more and more, getting angry when we can't have it. We'd see this, the death of of despair, because despair cannot flourish in the heart that is filled with the love of Jesus Christ. Because when our hearts are filled with his love, here's what our hearts are filled with, joy, supernatural joy. And so, and so why is it then that we need to all comprehend and experience and enjoy the love of Jesus Christ in a new and a profoundly life-changing way? Here's why. Because everything depends on it. Everything depends on it. Because, because here's what's at stake. Our hearts. Our hearts are at stake. Therefore, our lives are at stake because whatever rules our hearts will then rule our lives. And if our heart is not ruled by the love of Jesus Christ, then our hearts will be ruled by something. Our hearts will be ruled by something else. And so if our hearts are at stake, then listen, literally everything is at stake. So here's the question. How then can we comprehend and experience and enjoy the love of Jesus Christ in our lives to the full, to the full? Well, that leads us right into our first point. You could jot this down. Here's our first point this morning. I must receive this staggering truth. I must receive this staggering truth. God loves me the way God loves God. I must receive this staggering truth. God loves me the way that God loves God. Have a look at John chapter 15, verse 9. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 9. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Wow. Now before rushing into these truly astonishing words of Jesus Christ, let's consider for a moment who it is that's actually speaking to us from John chapter 15. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this about Jesus Christ, that he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the one who's speaking to us this morning from John chapter 15. He's the creator of everything, the one who holds all the authority, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he saying to us this morning from John chapter 15? Well, verses 1 through 8 can be summarized really in verse 5. Let's have a look at verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do, what does he say? Nothing. Nothing. So Jesus says that he's he's the vine, we are the branches, and we can bear fruit for him. We We can glorify him as we draw everything we need from him. We are totally 100% dependent on him. We can do nothing apart from him. And then and then now as he moves into verse 9, he says one of the most staggering things that you will ever hear. And if you are able to receive it today. It may be perhaps the most heart-changing and life-altering thing that you will ever hear. Look again at verse 9. Look at what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now let's try to consider what he's actually saying here. We're going to read it together. Okay, we're going to read it together. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Here's what he's saying, that if you are in him, if you are a branch in the vine, that he loves you like the Father loves him. In other words, God loves you the way that God loves God. Now just try to let that sink in. God loves you the way that God loves God. And if you're anything like me, you know that right now, for some reason, that's just not sinking in like it should. It's just not sinking in like it needs to. And here's why. Again, if you're anything like me, you're just like, my mind is just like a a cup, and this ocean ocean of God's love is just so big it can't fit in. I can't can't grasp it. It's too much. It just seems too good to be true. It seems way too big to understand, and yet here it is. 
Straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Hear it. God loves you the way God loves God. And so how can we get that in here? And how can we especially get that in here? Well, it begins with uh, this question. How much love are we actually talking about here? Because Jesus Christ doesn't just say, I love you. That's not what he says. He says, he says that he has loved you like the Father has loved him. And so how much is that? How much does the Father love Jesus Christ? How much does God the Father love God the Son? How much does God love God? How big, how big is the love that God has for God? How high is that love? How, how deep does that love go? How, how long is that love? How wide is that love? How big is the love that God has for God? Because if you can figure that out, that's how much Jesus Christ loves you. Again, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Can you feel the weight? Can you feel the weight of what he's actually saying? God loves you the way God loves God, and therefore a love that big, it, it must be expressed. A love that big, it cannot be contained. It must be displayed. It must be demonstrated. And if that's going to happen... If a love this big is going to somehow be demonstrated, it will be demonstrated with such intensity and with such depth and with such glory that it will be nothing less than staggering. It will be nothing less than breathtaking. It will be nothing less than awe-inspiring for us to behold. In the same way that the sun, it just, it must shine because it's a burning inferno of hydrogen. In the same way, the love that Jesus Christ has for you, it is a burning inferno. It must shine and it has shined in this, that he saved you from he saved you from the greatest suffering that there is, which is eternal suffering in hell. And he saved you to the greatest joy there is, eternal joy in God. And he saved you at the greatest cost there is, his cross. He saved you from the greatest suffering there is. He saved you to the greatest joy there is. And he saved you at the greatest cost there is his cross where he laid down his tortured, bloodied back on a cross and allowed men to drive spikes through his wrists and his ankles and he was then lifted up. And as that darkness fell, he bore the full punishment that you and I deserve for our sin, the unfathomable wrath and the fury of God. So how much would Jesus Christ have to love you to bear the wrath and the fury of God that you deserve? Because if you can figure that out, 
That's how much Jesus Christ loves you. But again, my mind, my heart, it's just this glass, you know? This love is, is too big. It's just like this endless ocean. I, I, see, I can't seem to make it fit. And so how can this ocean of love ever be poured into my heart so I can understand it? Is there, is there some method? Is there some way I can force it to happen? If I just try really hard to understand it, can I, can I just will myself to get it? And I can't. And listen, neither can you. There's only one way that this will happen for us. There's only one way that this ocean of the love of Jesus Christ can ever be poured into your heart and into mine. And here's how. It must be done supernaturally. It must be done by the Holy Spirit, period. This is something supernatural. And listen, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does when we ask him. He supernaturally pours out the love of Jesus Christ into our hearts so that we experience more of his love than we ever thought was ever possible. And this is how we supernaturally comprehend and experience and enjoy the love of Jesus Christ in a profoundly life-changing way. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul prayed for in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's have a look at that up on the screen. It's already there. That's great. So he begins this prayer by praying that, that God would give the Ephesians believing hearts, that he would fill them with faith. And then he kind of turns the corner and starts praying. He says that you, Ephesians, being rooted and grounded in love. They are rooted in love. They're like trees. And their roots go down into the love of Jesus Christ. They're rooted in love. And they are, they're grounded in love. Love is the foundation of their lives. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. Strength from who? Strength from the Holy Spirit. Strength to comprehend, to understand with all the saints. That's us, all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So here's what Paul is praying for. That the Holy Spirit would give the church strength to comprehend what is impossible to comprehend. To, to, to have knowledge that, that is beyond knowledge. To understand something that can only be understood supernaturally. The dimensions, the glorious size, the vastness of the love of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, here's the outcome. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God that we would be completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit in every way, that we would be filled with love for God. We can think of it this way, that God's love for us is like a river, a river that's, that's headed toward us, and, and when we get saved, the Spirit of God opens up our eyes to see the glorious love of Jesus Christ at the cross, and, and yet our capacity is still so small 
We see just a fraction of this love, and it is glorious and it is awesome. But the only way that we can grow and, and expand our, and our knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ is for the Holy Spirit to do it. And this is exactly what he does. He alone can pour more of an understanding of the love of Jesus Christ into our hearts. It's supernatural, and this is what he does. He gives us supernatural understanding. And when he does that, he also then produces in us a deep reservoir of love for God. It's entirely a work of the Spirit of God from beginning to end. He shows us the love of God. We then plead and beg, oh God, would you please show me more of your love? And then he pours more of an understanding of this vastness of the love of Jesus Christ that we can't understand on our own. And then he produces in us a deep reservoir of love for God. This is what he does when we ask. And so question, what must we do then to understand Jesus Christ when he says to us today in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Here's what we must do. We must pray. We must pray that God would empower us supernaturally to comprehend the dimensions, the vastness, the glory of the love of Jesus Christ. So that when we open up this book and we read about the good news of Jesus Christ, when we, when we open up this book and we read about the love of Jesus Christ, when we open up this book and we read about the cross, when we open up this book to John chapter 15, verse 9, and we hear the words of Jesus Christ, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, that we would be empowered even today, even today, even right now. Holy Spirit, please do it. Even right now. empowered to supernaturally comprehend and experience and enjoy more of the love of Jesus Christ. Because when we really begin to understand this reality, that God loves you like God loves God, listen, it changes everything. It changes everything. When we really begin to understand how much Jesus Christ loves us, it changes everything everything about us and that's when we see the death of pride and that's when we see the death of idolatry and fear and anger and despair in our lives because these things cannot survive in the heart that is filled with the love of Jesus Christ. I must receive this staggering truth. God loves me like God loves God. Now look what Jesus says next at the end of verse 9. Look what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Notice, abide in my love. Abide in my love. So what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about when he's commanding us here to abide in his love? Well, this is, this is what he means, that not only, not only does he want us to understand his love more and more and more and more and more supernaturally, but he also wants us to live in it. He wants us to press in and enjoy it to the full. And so how is that going to happen in your life and in mine? Well, that leads us to our next point. You could jot this down. 
I must believe this wonderful promise. I must believe this wonderful promise. If I obey, I will abide in God's love. I must believe this wonderful promise. If I obey, I will abide in God's love. Jesus continues now in verse 10. Notice he says, if. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so what does he mean again by this abiding in his love? He means this. That not only are we to comprehend his love, but we're to press in even more and live in it and enjoy it to the full. He wants us to make our home in his love, which ultimately means this. That Jesus Christ wants us to live in such a way that our understanding and our experience and our enjoyment of his love doesn't fade over the years, but actually increases over the years. This is what he means. He wants us to live in such a way that our experience and our enjoyment of his love, it doesn't decrease over the years, but in fact increases over the years. And so how do we live like that? Well, what does he say? Look again at the end of verse 9. He says, abide in my love. That's a command. Do it. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus gives us himself here as the example of how to live in the love of God. He tells us he had a particular lifestyle. And it was a lifestyle that ensured that he lived in the love of his Father. That he enjoyed his Father's love to the full. And what was that lifestyle? It was this. A lifestyle of obedience. A lifestyle of obedience. Look again at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's what we need to see. That Jesus enjoyed his Father's love to the full by, by keeping his Father's commandments. And so what commandments exactly are we talking about? All of them. All of them. He loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength at all times perfectly without fail. He loved his neighbor as himself perfectly at all times without fail. And this lifestyle of obedience that he lived led him to enjoy his father's love to the full. Which then begs this question. What's the connection between Jesus' obedience and his enjoyment of the father's love? What's the connection here between Jesus' obedience and his enjoyment of the Father's love? Because it seems like these two things are connected, that one leads to the other, kind of like a glass of cold water on a really hot day leads to refreshment, or a hot fire on a freezing cold night leads to comfort, or a perfectly cooked steak leads to such deliciousness. No offense, vegans, okay? No offense, no offense. I'm just speaking the truth. How are these things connected? What's the connection between Jesus' obedience 
and his enjoyment of the Father's love. Well, we can think of it this way. When Jesus Christ walked on this earth, the most important thing to Jesus was his communion and intimacy with the Father. That was the most important thing. His communion and his intimacy with the Father. And that communion, that fellowship, that intimacy took place as he walked with his Father on the path of obedience. That communion, that intimacy with the Father took place as he walked with the Father on the path of obedience. And now Jesus Christ says to us in verse 10, that what was true of him is now true for us as well. Again, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, Jesus is promising that just as he had communion and fellowship and intimacy with the Father on the path of obedience, that we, we will have communion and fellowship and intimacy with him on the path of obedience. Or we can think of it like this. The more we walk on the path of obedience with Jesus Christ, the more we will have communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ, and therefore, the more we will know and enjoy his love. But if we're really going to do this, if we're really going to walk with Jesus Christ on the path of obedience, then it means this it means we're going to have to turn away from every other path. It means we're going to have to turn away from every other path. We can think of it like this. Jesus is saying, go this way. This way. He's like, this is the way. Walk with me down this path. This is the path of intimacy with me. This is the path of fellowship. This is the path of communion with me. Walk this way. Not that way. Because you can't go in two different directions at the same time. It's impossible. It's also impossible for two people to, to walk together if we're going in different directions. Jesus wants us to go with him, to walk with him. So we have to choose the path of obedience. And it seems so simple. Just choose the path of obedience. In a lot of ways, it is really that simple, but... It's not easy. Maybe simple, but it's not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because we have this thing called the sinful flesh that still lives in us and just is always pulling us toward the path of sin. Always, 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 but that fail never stops. And so where can we find the strength, the strength to choose to walk on the path of obedience with Jesus Christ. Where does that strength come from? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us in the previous chapter. So flip over to a chapter 14, John chapter 14, and have a look at verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. Look what Jesus says. Notice it's another if. John chapter 14, verse 15. If, do you see that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now look at verse 21. Verse 21, Jesus says, Whoever, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Look at verse 23. 
If, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Okay, I'm seeing a pattern here. Are you? Are you seeing? Are you picking this up? Look at verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So this is a, a for sure pattern. Do you see it? Here it is. The more we love Jesus Christ, the more we will choose to walk on the path of obedience with him. That's what he's clearly saying. The more we love Jesus Christ, the more we will choose to walk on the path of obedience with him. And the more we walk with Jesus Christ on the path of obedience, the more we will have communion and intimacy and fellowship with him, and the more we will know and enjoy his love. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, you keep saying that path of obedience thing over and over and over again, but that's just like way too vague. What are you talking about exactly? What specifically does it look like to walk on the path of obedience? And again, so glad I don't need to try to come up with my own wisdom because Jesus tells us exactly what it looks like to walk on the path of obedience. Flip back over to John chapter 15 and we'll have a look at verse 12. John chapter 15 verse 12. Jesus tells us what it looks like to walk on the path of obedience. Look what he says. He says, This is my commandment. This is it. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so your jaws aren't on the ground right now. I'm just going to read that again. Okay, so here's what he said. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Love others the way Jesus has loved us? He wants us to love others like that? That seems, um, what's the word? Impossible. But consider for a moment how Jesus has loved you. How has Jesus Christ loved you? He's loved you by giving you his very best, which is himself. And now he's commanding us to give others our very best, which is also himself. We love others best by pointing them to Jesus Christ. We love others best by pointing them to Jesus Christ with our words and with our actions. This is the path of obedience that Jesus wants us to walk with him. And the more this is our lifestyle, the more our lifestyle is walking with Jesus Christ, pointing others to Jesus Christ, the more we'll have communion with Jesus Christ, and the more we will know and enjoy his love. John Piper puts it this way. I love this so much. If... You live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard. Your risks will be high. But look at this. And your joy will be full. I can remember uh, sitting here in the worship center a few months ago and before service, you know how we have those rolling slides at the beginning of the, of the service? I was sitting here and I saw one of the slides and it was, talking about a missions trip to a place called Fort Hope. And as soon as I saw it, I was just like, I have to go. Can't explain it. I just knew that I had to go. 
And uh, so I, I registered and um, got on the team, and a, a small team of us uh, went down to this a place called Fort Hope, which is a First Nations community, uh, 350 kilometers north of Thunder Bay. So if you know maps at all, that's like really far away. You gotta, you gotta, there's no roads. You got to fly there on like a, a nine-person plane, all right? And uh, moment of transparency, I was pretty intimidated by this whole idea. You know, I didn't know what's it going to be like. And um, all I can tell you is that when the, the wheels hit the, I hesitate to say runway because it's grass. Okay, when the wheels hit the grass, all right, it just, the Lord took over. And, and we were there for just a couple of hours when one of the believers from the community showed up at our little teacher's residence we were staying at and then just kind of started telling us about his life. And, and I was just amazed at the, the, the transparency. I mean, just as a counselor here at this church, I have never seen this degree of transparency in anyone. He just started telling us everything. And, and, and that was like day after day after day, the Lord was leading us to conversation to conversation. People just opening up and telling us about their whole lives, believers and unbelievers. And we, we had the opportunity to, to sit with people and to listen to the challenges that they were experiencing in that community, the, the horrors, the horrors of the residential school system, the horrors of the sexual abuse and the, the drug addiction, and the suicides, and the homicides, and the darkness. And yet, God is working there. And he is doing something great there. And, and as we had the opportunity to point the believers there to Jesus Christ, the, the, the presence of the Lord there for us was just so tangible. The love of God in, in those moments was just so uh, apparent to us. It was awesome. And I can't wait to go back. But this ought not to just be something that happens to us when we go to faraway places on missions trips. Really, if we take the Bible seriously, this is what our lives are supposed to be like all the time. We're supposed to be living our lives on mission. We're supposed to be pointing others to Jesus Christ. This is supposed to be our lifestyle. So ask yourself, am I doing that? I mean, really, am I, am I pointing others to Jesus Christ with my life? Am, am I pointing others to Jesus Christ with my words and with my actions? Is this my lifestyle? Was this my lifestyle this week? If you're married, ask yourself, this week, did I point my spouse to Jesus Christ with my words and with my actions? Because this is what real love looks like. This is what your spouse needs from you the most. If you were a parent here today, ask yourself, this week, did I point my children to Jesus Christ with my words and with my actions? Because this is what real love looks like. This is what your children need from you the most. If Harvest is your church home, ask yourself, did I point some of the saints here in this church to Jesus Christ with my words and with my actions because this is what love looks like. This is what the saints in this church need from you the most to point them to Jesus Christ. What about your coworkers or your neighbors? Man, as you consider these questions, can you see a lack of love for people in your heart and life? 
like I so often see a lack of love for people in my heart and in my life. Do you see it? Because if you can see it, listen, if you can see a lack of love for other people in your heart and life right now, listen, that's not a bad thing. Don't be discouraged. Because if we can't even see the problem, then we can't face the problem. It's not until we can see the lack of love that we have for other people that we become so desperate that we cry out to the Lord and say, God, would you please, please open up my eyes to understand how much you love me, please, and fill my heart with love for you and fill my heart with love for others. And when the Holy Spirit begins to respond to that prayer and move and work, that's when we begin to supernaturally comprehend and experience and enjoy the love of Jesus Christ in a new way. That's when our hearts begin to fill with love for him. That's when we begin to choose to walk with Jesus Christ on the path of obedience. Whether that looks like sponsoring a child, whether that looks like going on a missions trip, whether that looks like serving here in the church, whether that looks like being a light at your workplace, whether that looks like being a light in your neighborhood, whether that looks like being a light in your home, in your everyday life, whatever that looks like for you, as the Spirit of God is working in your heart, filling you with how much Jesus Christ loves you, you will want to, you will want to, you will want to walk on the path of obedience with Him. You will. And the more we do that, the more we walk with Jesus Christ on the path of obedience, the more we will have communion with Him and the more we will abide in His love. So ask yourself, in this moment, do I really want to abide in the love of Jesus Christ? Do I really want to enjoy his love to the full? Because if so, I must do this. I must walk the path of obedience with him because this is how we abide in his love. So to recap, I must receive this staggering truth God loves me the way that God loves God. Awesome. I must must believe this wonderful promise. If I obey, I'll abide in God's love. Beautiful. And now thirdly, I must do this. I must do this. You could jot this down. I must pursue this glorious outcome. I must pursue this glorious outcome. If I abide, I'll be filled with God's joy. I must pursue this glorious outcome. If I abide, I'll be filled with God's joy. Now, let's have a look at what Jesus said in verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus continues. Look what he says. These things, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So everything Jesus has just spoken to us today in this text is is now leading to this. This is the main point. This is the purpose. This is the glorious outcome of abiding in his love. It's this, that Jesus' joy would be in you. That Jesus' joy would be in you. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here's what we need to see, that when we abide in the love of Jesus Christ, we are filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. You see that? 
When we abide in the love of Jesus Christ, we are then filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. And it does not get any better than that. Because this is a taste of heaven. This is a taste of what we'll be experiencing for all of eternity. Because notice in verse 11, Jesus doesn't just say, I want you to have joy. And he doesn't just say, I want you to be filled with joy. What does he say? He says, I've spoken these things that my joy, his joy, would be in us. And so what is his joy? What is Jesus' joy? Jesus' joy is this. Ultimately, Jesus' joy is joy in God. It's the fullness of joy that Jesus has had for all of eternity in God. It's the joy that exists within the Trinity. It's God's joy in God. That's Jesus' joy. So now consider what he's saying in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's what he's saying. That as we begin to comprehend the greatness of his love for us and we walk the path of obedience with him and abide in his love, then here's what happens. The supernatural joy that God has in God begins to flood our hearts and our joy becomes so super abundantly full. Because Jesus' joy is a supernatural joy in God. Meaning, it's not a joy that is somehow dependent on our circumstances. In fact, this is the same supernatural joy that sustained Jesus Christ as he suffered on the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, if Jesus' joy was enough to sustain him as he endured the cross, then Jesus' joy in us is more than enough to sustain us through anything. Anything. And so how do we lay hold of this joy, this supernatural joy? Well, it begins with this, always, prayer. It begins with prayer. It begins by calling out to God that he, would, that he would fill our hearts and minds with the supernatural knowledge of his love for us, that he would fill our hearts with love for him, that he would fill our hearts with love for others. And when the Spirit begins to respond to that prayer and move and work, that's when we begin to supernaturally comprehend and experience and enjoy the love of Jesus Christ in a new and profoundly life-changing way. That's when our hearts begin to fill with love for him. That's when our hearts begin to filled with love for others and we choose to walk with Jesus Christ on the path of obedience and that's when we abide in his love. And this, loved ones, is the path to supernatural joy. The path to supernatural joy is abiding in the love of Jesus Christ. The path to joy is abiding in this glorious, awesome perfect love that we get to celebrate right now. 